0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
1: If you followed the coverage of the Flint water crisis, you probably noticed a guy named Mark Edwards. He did research that showed just how much lead was in Flint's water, enough to cause brain damage. When he testified in Congress a few months back, he started out pretty quiet, but by the end, he was almost shouting.
0: In Washington, D.C., and incredibly to this day, they have not apologized for what they did in Flint, Michigan. No apology from EPA. Completely unrepentant and unable to learn from their mistakes. I guess being a government agency means you never have to say you're sorry.
1: There is actually a representative from the EPA sitting just a couple chairs down from him during this testimony. Her name is Susan Hedman. She had just resigned from the agency. And when she testified, she had to stop herself from breaking down in tears. Mark Edwards, he was totally unmoved by
0: that. Ms. Hedman, at every step, aided, abetted, and emboldened the unethical behavior of civil servants at the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality. She allowed Flint's children to be harmed. Mark
1: Edwards has been working in Flint for almost a year. He's still sampling the water, still figuring out exactly what's in those pipes. But the thing is, he's not even from Michigan. He lives over 500 miles away in Blacksburg, Virginia. He's a professor of engineering at Virginia Tech. And when I listen to him talk, all I want to know is what made him start on this crusade? And what makes someone like him tick? I'm Mary Harris, and this is Only Human. Today on the show, we're going to talk to Mark Edwards about all this. It took years for him to get the government to take lead in water seriously. But we're also gonna try to figure out what makes anyone into a medical crusader. How does someone like Mark convince the rest of us that he's got it right? To understand how hard it is to do what Mark Edwards is doing, we gotta go back in history a little bit to another public health crisis. Because a successful crusader needs more than just scientific proof. And back in 1847, one doctor learned that the hard way. So back then...
2: The hospitals were largely looked at as places that you went if you were desperate and you were probably going to die. This is Constance Putnam. She's a medical historian. No clean white coats. One of the prides of, of surgeons, in fact, was that the dirtier their jackets, and by dirt I'm talking about blood and gore spattered on them, the better, because that showed that they were experienced and practiced and had done lots of surgery.
1: Hospitals were dangerous because they were dirty. And for women, giving birth at a hospital could be deadly. They would deliver, they would seemingly be doing just fine,
2: and two to three days later they would get raging fever, and soon thereafter they would die.
1: It was called childbed fever, and it was a real medical mystery at the time. But there was one doctor who wanted to figure it out. His name was Ignaz Semmelweis, and he was running one of the two maternity clinics at Vienna General Hospital.
2: He noticed that the women were dying at a much greater rate in one clinic than in the other, and to his considerable distress, they were dying at a greater rate in the clinic that he headed up.
1: Semmelweis realized that at his clinic, all the deliveries were being done by doctors and medical students. And at the other clinic, babies were being delivered by midwives. But there was something else Vienna Hospital at that point was doing extensive autopsy work
2: as a way of learning about disease. The
1: doctors and med students would go straight from the autopsy room to the delivery room without washing their hands. You come out of the autopsy room and your hands are slimy and sort of stink. This was Semmelweis's aha moment. He realized those dirty hands might be connected to the dying mothers. So he instituted a policy doctors had to scrub their hands between patients for 20 minutes with carbolic acid. Lo and behold, the death rate plummeted. Just plummeted. So Semmelweis was convinced handwashing could save lives. But this was before we knew anything about germs. He was ahead of his time, and he spent the rest of his life trying in vain to convince his colleagues he was right. Part of his problem was office politics. Semmelweis was so pushy that other doctors, especially the older ones, didn't want to listen.
2: It's not inconceivable that if he had been a slightly different kind of person and had been more circumspect in the way he presented his findings to the guys on top, maybe he could have persuaded
1: more people. Semmelweis tried for nearly two decades, but he couldn't get hospitals to implement his handwashing regimen he said, I thought the
2: truth would be enough. To him, it just was so obvious that there was a connection. Why didn't he just give up? Because he really believed it was important. He was confident. He was right. He had what he considered ample evidence that although it wasn't going to save every woman, uh, the death rates would be much, much lower if people would do as he instructed.
1: Well, I feel like we, we all have someone like Semmelweis in our life who is loud and insistent that something is right and we just can't hear them. Yeah. And
2: they can't seem to deal with the fact that people aren't just getting it. You know, I think one of the things we need to keep our minds open to is what what is being promoted today that Uh, we're not paying enough attention to. We're not taking as seriously as we should.
1: Crusaders can be really hard to listen to. But just a few years after Semmelweis died, his theory was finally proven right by Louis Pasteur and others who were starting to understand germs. Genius idea. Bad timing. So what about the Crusaders who do win their fights? The danger with them is what if their big idea is wrong?
3: A crowd of more than 5,000 jams Washington Airport to roar their welcome to
2: President and Mrs. Eisenhower as they return from a seven-week hospital stay in Denver.
1: This story starts with a national crisis. It was 1955. President Eisenhower had just had a heart attack. It kept him out of the White House for weeks.
3: I am happy the doctors have given me at least a uh, a parole, if not a pardon, and uh, I expect to be back... At my accustomed duties, although they say I must ease my way into them and not bulldoze my way into
1: them. What happened to Eisenhower was happening to a lot of Americans. Suddenly, more and more people were having heart attacks. A lot of them were dying. And scientists were scrambling to figure out why. Enter our crusader. His name was Ansel Keys.
3: He came up with the idea that it was saturated fats that cause heart disease. That's the kind of fat in butter, meat, cheese, dairy, eggs.
1: This is journalist Nina Teicholz. She's the author of a book called The Big Fat Surprise. And she writes about Key's idea, which seems like common sense today, but it was revolutionary at the time. Basically, he thought if you eat more saturated fat, not only do you get fat, but you have more fat in your blood, and that blocks your arteries and leads to heart attacks. Here's how he tried to prove it. He did this study of people in different countries. Some people, like those in Japan, ate very little saturated fat and had very few heart attacks. Others had a higher fat diet and lots of heart attacks. That's what seemed to be happening in the United States. But Nina says Ansel Keys just cherry-picked the countries.
3: There were countries where people ate a lot of saturated fat, like Switzerland, France, Germany, sausages, omelets, you know, cream sauce, where they ate a lot of those foods but had very low rates of heart attack. But he ignored those countries. I mean, he was so convinced in his own belief, and he didn't want to hear any data to the contrary.
1: President Eisenhower was convinced, too. He went on a low-fat diet after that first heart attack. And the rest of America followed suit because Ansel Keys knew how to sell his idea.
3: It's sort of a, an example of, like, the great man theory of history. You know, there are various theories about why history takes the course that it does. But um, he was truly a powerful, great man, even though he had the wrong idea. And he knew how to make friends in high places. He was an incredibly forceful individual. And he was able to position himself in the American Heart Association Nutrition Advisory Board and... And he twisted them around to his idea. So literally, from 1960, the American Heart Association is saying we don't really know what causes heart disease. To 1961, Ansel Keys is now on, and he and his pal Jeremiah Stamler convince the council to say that saturated fats is probably the cause of heart disease. So we should in one year in one year, based on zero hard evidence. That initial recommendation by the American Heart Association in 1961 was like the acorn that grew into the giant oak tree of advice we have today.
1: If you've been to a grocery store, you already know how influential Ansel Keys has been. I still buy low-fat chips just because it feels right. But decades after a low-fat diet became popular, heart disease is still the leading cause of death in the United States. Nina says that means fat may not be the problem. Now doctors have new theories, like this one researcher Nina spoke with.
3: I mean, he's read more of the literature than any single other person I know. And he said, you know, I think it's just stress. But I really think we just don't know.
1: Even though she totally disagrees with Ansel Keys, Nina says he did prove one thing, how powerful a crusader can be if he's prepared to fight for his ideas. After the break, we'll go back to Flint, Michigan, to Mark Edwards. Mark Edwards. He spent the first half of his career like Ignat Semmelweis, trying to convince other people he was right. It took him more than a decade to learn how to sell his science, as well as Ansel Keys did. Last week, we heard from three women who told us what it was like to get a break from pain or disease. And you told us their stories were brave and sometimes shocking, and a lot of you could relate. On Facebook, Sally Maria Renata told us she was touched by Hannah's story about ulcerative colitis. She said she is so brave, and by opening up and talking about it, she takes the gross factor away. Meanwhile, at OnlyHuman.org, Erica said the episode spoke to a lot of the same things she's going through with Crohn's disease. There is something going on inside of us that is terrible and seemingly invisible, she wrote. It is so hard to live normally with these conditions. We want you guys to keep sharing your stories. And heads up, we have a new project we're hoping you can help us out with. Only Human is partnering with the American Natural History Museum to learn more about all the little microbes in our bodies. If you are a germaphobe, we want to know what scares you the most. What's the weirdest thing you do to stay clean? we have an expert who's going to weigh in and tell us what really matters when it comes to managing the little bugs that are all around us. So drop us a line at health at WNYC.org. Tell us your story. I'm Mary Harris. This is Only Human. Today, we're talking about medical crusaders, People who dedicate their lives to a cause. That dedication often comes with a price. Mark Edwards knows that firsthand. I asked him to come on and talk about how he became such a strong voice in Flint, Michigan. It turns out his crusade started more than a decade ago in Washington, D.C. And back then, he wasn't successful at all. And that changed him.
0: You know, you can crawl away and you can hide or you can fight. And I'm a fighter.
1: It all started when the D.C. Water Authority noticed tiny pinhole leaks in residents' pipes, and they hired Mark to look into it. The EPA thought lead might be part of the problem, so they hired Mark, too, and asked him to do some sampling.
0: I was out sampling in a consumer's home, and I discovered very, very high levels of lead, higher levels than anyone had told me could possibly be present. How, How high are we talking? They were probably hazardous waste levels of lead. I had a field meter, and I collected the sample, and it was off the charts. And in fact, I thought my field meter was broken.
1: So you saw this result, and you literally thought, like, oh, this must be an error.
0: Yes, I did.
1: Mark did several more tests and realized that first result wasn't a mistake. He figured out that a treatment chemical was damaging the pipes and causing lead to seep into drinking water. When he explained his findings to the EPA and the Water Authority, they insisted D.C. residents were safe as long as they ran their taps for 30 seconds before taking a drink. But Mark's research showed that this was actually bad advice. It increased lead exposure.
0: Literally, the information we were giving out was poisoning kids. It was the worst advice you could possibly give.
1: So he pushed back. He told anyone who would listen that the water was dangerous. Not just the EPA and the Water and Sewer Authority, but also homeowners. And that's when he realized that speaking up would cost him. First, he heard from the Water Authority.
0: I got a call that said, look, we've got this contract with your name on it for $150,000. And if you keep working with us and play by our rules, you can have the money.
1: Mark declined their offer. And then the EPA cut him
0: off. They just said, well, I'm sorry, that contract's over.
1: He was counting on these contracts to pay for work he was already doing, figuring out the exact source of lead and whether it could be removed. Once he knew residents were at risk, he felt this moral obligation to keep going. So he took out loans, and he kept sampling the water and examining the pipes, and he also combed through hundreds of government emails and checked and double-checked official research. I'm just imagining you going home to your wife and saying, honey... I just need to get out a couple more loans to keep doing this work. You're a young guy. I mean, that must have been a hard conversation.
0: Well, I I was stressed and I wasn't taking care of myself. And I actually at one point lost 30 pounds and I, I thought I was having a heart attack. I went to the hospital and I remember telling my wife, I said, um, you know, this is it. And I told her goodbye because I really thought I was dying.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And um, – Yeah, no, this is, as you can imagine, it's very, very stressful because you're, not only is it just the betrayal by the environmental policeman uh, in the lost money, it's just your whole understanding of how the world works is shattered. And so that was the beginning of my journey that, you know, took seven years to uncover the depths of the betrayal that occurred in Washington, D.C., to prove that thousands of children had their bloodlet blood elevated when the CDC claimed there was none.
1: Did you think if I just tell the truth, it'll be fine?
0: Yes. I just thought that people would care about facts and about the truth and that they would be reasonable because that's what science and engineering is about. They were willfully blind and actively writing falsified documents to cover up what they did.
1: Mark Edwards says what happened in D.C. was a total system failure. It wasn't just the EPA and the Water Authority. It was the Centers for Disease Control, too. It sounds crazy, but it's all true. Congress investigated, and they found that the CDC knowingly used inaccurate data to claim that D.C.'s water was safe to drink. And together, these agencies put thousands of people at risk. I imagine at a certain point, it just might feel like, maybe I'm crazy here. If, if so many people are saying this thing, maybe you must question yourself, too.
0: Oh, every day. I mean, here you are, you're giving up your career, your, your professional life is being eviscerated. They were, they were spying on me. I actually had a postdoc who one of the people at the agency was dating— who I believe was taking documents from my office.
1: When we asked him to back up this story, he sent us this voicemail.
3: Message one was received at 5.50 p.m. Thursday.
1: It's an anonymous message from more than a decade ago. At the time, Mark Edwards had become an expert witness in a lawsuit against the D.C. Water Authority.
2: Hi, Dr. Edwards. I am a graduate student, or entering as a graduate student. Um, One of your postdoc students, I believe, is... Passing along information
0: on your research to uh, the District of Columbia water quality manager that you are actually involved uh, in a lawsuit and testifying against, I believe.
1: Mark has no idea who left this message. And what she's alleging sounds like the plot of a movie. An employee spying on the boss, covertly copying documents and sending them along to the very people he's accusing of wrongdoing. These are tough allegations to prove. Edwards did uncover emails showing one of his postdoc students was dating an employee of the Water Authority. And eventually, he fired her. But the whole incident left him wondering who he could trust. I just imagine it would make you completely paranoid.
0: I I mean, you do question your sanity. Um, You do question, why am I destroying my career? And the reality is everyone is just so hung up on advancing their own career, their own agenda, that... It's unreasonable to think that anyone else is ever going to help you, that anyone else is ever going to defend you. That's just the nature of a whistleblower's journey. In
1: 2013, Mark published his final report on the D.C. water crisis, 11 years after this all began. He was just settling back into his life at Virginia Tech when he got a call from a woman named Leanne Walters. She's a mom in Flint, Michigan.
0: Leanne? had figured out that one of her twins was not growing as fast as the other. And through that living experiment, she figured out that one of the children was lead poisoned.
1: Mark had Leanne send him a sample of her water, and he ran a bunch of tests.
0: And when we got the results, I remember it was about midnight, and my heart just skipped a couple of beats because it was the worst lead in water I'd ever seen.
1: How did your experience in D.C. change what you did in Flint? Next.
0: I had been refighting the D.C. battle in my head for about seven years. Uh, You ask yourself, what if? What if I had not been so naive? And I just, the last thing on earth I needed at this point was another confrontation with powerful government agencies. But
1: Yeah, so why'd you do it?
0: How could I not do it? Kids were getting hammered with high lead. How can I sit by and let that harm occur? That's not an option. You find a way.
1: So Mark got a team of graduate students together, packed up his wife's minivan, and drove from his home in Blacksburg, Virginia, to Flint. He went door to door, running tests on Flint's water.
0: We started doing experiments and collaborated with local elementary schools to show just how simple this was. Uh, So when the state said that oh, they don't know what they're talking about, we said, look, here's our experimental result. And oh, by the way, this is so simple. A fourth-grade classroom can do this. And (laughs) a fourth-grade classroom was on TV showing their results.
1: In Flint, Mark's work had an immediate impact. He learned from that first crusade, and he got results.
0: What took eight years in D.C., it took us eight weeks with the help of outside actors in Flint. The harm done in Washington, D.C. was 30 times worse. Than what occurred in Flint. But uh, in Flint, we actually got kids protected before the worst damage occurred.
1: Mark's crusade in Flint is still going after years of fighting the government. He's working for them again. The governor of Michigan appointed him to an advisory council for the city's water. Mark recently told the people in Flint they can use the tap to wash their hands and take showers, but the water's not safe for drinking. Not yet. What do you think made you into the person who brought these issues to light?
0: Well, I'm, I'm very idealistic. I'm very stubborn. And I'm probably the most optimistic person on the planet. I mean, people say to me, oh, you sound so cynical. You say all these bad things. And I'm like, look, what we have at these agencies right now, that's not good enough. Okay? I can't live in a world where EPA and the CDC – poison little kids. I will not live in that world. And I'm optimistic enough to think that I'm going to change it.
1: I mean, it's clear talking to you that you are incredibly passionate about what you do, but there, there's also this cost to it.
0: You know, but here's the thing. I got up every day with such a sense of purpose. And I felt like I was doing the job I was born to do. And how many people get to experience that in their life? I just wish everyone could experience something like that once in their life. But what what we did with Flint residents, and that's priceless. You know, I wouldn't wish what happened to me on anyone, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world either.
1: Someone sent Mark Edwards a picture of this mural that used to stand at the corner of Saginaw Street and MLK in Flint. It had a quote from Albert Einstein on it. The world is a dangerous place to live, not because of the people who are evil, but because of the people who don't do anything about it. Mark Edwards really believes these words, but crusades like his don't really end. Doctors know they're supposed to wash their hands, just like Ignaz Semmelweis said— but patients are still dying of infections that handwashing could prevent. Ansel Keys, He started a debate about healthy eating that's still going on today. Mark Edwards is waiting for the next lead in water crisis. He says he knows it's coming. and the best thing he can do is be ready to fight. Before we go, one more thing. All this month, we've been asking you to show us a little love by making a donation to keep us going strong. For those who have already donated, thank you. And if you haven't had a chance yet, there is still time. Just go to onlyhuman.org slash donate or text human to the number 69866. Your donation really does make a big difference. Only Human is a production of WNYC Studios. This episode was produced by Jillian Weinberger. Our team includes Amanda Aranchek, Elaine Chen, Paige Cowett, Julia Longoria, Kenny Malone, Fred Mogul, Ankita Rao, and Lisa Rappaport. Our technical director is Casey Means. Our executive producer is Lital Malad. Thanks to Daniel Fox and Stephanie Daniel. Jim Schachter is the vice president for news at WNYC. And I'm Mary Harris. Talk to you next week.
0: Support for WNYC's health coverage and Only Human is provided by the Charina Endowment Fund, the Hearst Foundations, Jane and Gerald Catcher, the Iris and Junming Lee Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Simons Foundation, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, and the Winston Foundation.